Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you all. I think we need to pray, having heard that passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as uh, we look at these words of your son Jesus this morning and uh, the challenge that is contained in them, I ask, Lord, you will help to write them on our hearts and minds that we might uh, see and understand and know what they mean to us. And you will help make us a people that are more able to share your love in this world. Amen. So as Annalise has already said, we're starting a new uh, sermon series this morning, uh, series title, Encountering God. I want to ask you a question. I like asking questions at the start of my talks. You've probably noticed that. What do you expect when you encounter God? Or indeed, what has it been like in your life when you have encountered and sensed God close to you in the past? I know God is with us wherever we are, but there are particular moments or times in our life when we can really sense and know he is with us. Perhaps it's been when you've been reading a piece of scripture or praying. You've sensed his spirit upon you. Perhaps it's come through words that have been spoken to you by someone else or perhaps a piece of music that you've been listening to or singing along with or or maybe something else. What was it about that encounter that you treasure that made it special? When I think about the times in my life when I've really encountered God and sensed him close to me, really sensed his presence, they are times that have left me quite often with a great sense of peace and joy, especially in that moment, and it's lasted afterwards. There are a couple of moments in particular that I will always remember and treasure with great joy when I just sense this unconditional love and kindness towards me, even though I was somebody that messed up and got things wrong. I sensed a love and a care that went beyond the normal way of the world, and it just made such a difference to my life in that moment. It actually made a transformational difference, some of them, in my life afterwards as well. It impacted and changed me. But I think there is a danger as well of having such great moments that we have. We can go chasing after those and forget the response that comes from them. We live in a world, don't we, where consumerism is rampant. The general principle of this consumeristic world at the moment is chasing after and going for what feels good for you. If it feels good, the motto is, go and do it, provided it's not illegal or you're not damaging somebody else. Go and do it. Just chase after it, no matter what the long-term consequences may be. People get into debt chasing after an experience, paying, paying for an, uh, an image that might give them a momentary uh, experience of feeling good, but doesn't have an, any long-lasting impact. We chase after all kinds of things that can make us feel good in a moment, but have no lasting difference in our lives. This is what we're bombarded with in the media. All the adverts are, buy this. It will be beneficial for you. You get this, encounter it, and it will make your life better. Then we get it, and we're soon realizing that the significance of it wears off, and then we're on to the next thing to try and find it and grab it. I think we need to be careful 
as Christians that we don't allow that kind of mentality to come seeping into our faith and our view of church, of God, and the way we relate to him and others. Because when we do that, we can become about what God can do for us, which, don't get me wrong, as I've said, is absolutely great. It's beyond great, beyond what we can actually really get our heads around. But the more we get to know God, the more we look at Jesus' words, we see that as well as offering us incredible uh, acceptance and love and kindness, as we encounter and realize the awesome uh, nature and character of God that we know, the love that he has for us, there is a response required from us. There's a challenge that comes from him, a transformational goal, if that's the right way of putting it, that Jesus wants us to live in and follow, a cost that comes with joy. And we have to admit, if you're anything like me, I often prefer good experiences that are free, that don't come with a cost. But that isn't what Jesus wants from us. He says, pick up your cross and carry me. His burden might be light, but there is definitely a response, a carrying, something we are called to walk in when we meet with him. I'm saying all this to ready you for the challenge that there is in our reading today, as we've heard. I wondered if you noticed those uh, words at the start of where our reading began in verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, or maybe better translate a little phrase, to those who are listening, I say. What's the significance of this is, I don't think Jesus is simply saying, if you can hear me, please listen. I think what he's actually saying is, I want you to really take in what I'm about to say. (laughs) There is a challenge that is coming. Even back then, before consumerism had a name, when Jesus was speaking these words to his audience, people followed Jesus, didn't they? Because they wanted something from him. People were coming to him to be healed, to be restored, to see the amazing miracles that were happening, to hear his wise words. They had a hope and an expectation that something incredible was going to happen. And it often did, didn't it? Because if it didn't, people wouldn't be going around following him. And let me say this again, there's nothing wrong with wanting something incredible from God, who is a giving God, who loves to give to us. But alongside that, Jesus often challenged and spoke into people's lives about a response he wanted for them it's there throughout the gospels and in the bible god does this and asks us to live in response to what he has done so this little phrase is getting people ready for that challenge that jesus is about to lay down something that is going to require attention that's not going to be easy And Jesus goes straight to the point after saying that little phrase. Love your enemy. Boom. 
This, I'm sure we'll agree, is not something that is easy. It's not the way the world tends to work day to day or or how we respond to situations. When we're wronged, our natural response is most likely to be to try and get our own back. We justify it, don't we, as, as, well I do certainly, as levelling it out, balancing the bad that has been committed to us. This happens in my home quite a lot. Oh, more than I would like. I wonder how many of you have ever in your life had to step into a child's argument, perhaps your own children or grandchildren or somebody, uh, yeah, or some other children that you've been caring for or looking after you. You stepped into an argument and the first phrase that's said to you once you stepped in is, well, she or he started it. When that, you hear that phrase, what it usually means is the other person said or did something, sometimes deliberately or sometimes accidentally, that upset me. So I responded back and did something similar or worse back to them, ending up in a situation or argument that has spiralled out of control. I needed a third party to go in and sort it out. Whenever I hear that phrase, my usual response is, I don't care who started it, but I'm finishing it. A phrase I learned from my mum when she had to step in and stop all the arguments that my sister caused from being mean to me. (laughs) I was just as bad. But even even as an adult, it's difficult, isn't it, to stop ourselves responding badly when someone says something difficult to you. When someone says something hurtful, our natural response can simply be, well, you said or you did, picking on and putting down the person that has been speaking to you, regardless of the truth or not of their statement. Our reaction is to try and take them down a peg or two, not necessarily to respond in love. But here Jesus is wanting us to think about how he responds and to respond differently. And in the following lines, after that, love your enemies, he gives us some, perhaps a little bit more in practical instruction of what this might look like. Do good, Jesus says, to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who mistreat you. When I was preparing this talk, I found out that around Jesus' time, there's some, lots of Jewish uh, writings that taught a lot about refraining from retaliation when somebody was hurt. Not seeking to hurt back, but just uh, not responding at all. But here Jesus is going a big step further, isn't he? Jesus is not saying simply not to retaliate and to ignore what is happening but rather to do something positive towards those who have acted unjustly. Also this week I came across um, a sermon that Martin Luther King preached on this passage and used an illustration that I'm just going to share with you because it it stuck in my mind and he used this to sort of hold his whole of his talk together, bearing in mind what he went through in his life. And it's a very silly analogy, but I thought it just, it really spoke to me. It tells a story. I'm not going to do an American accent, but I'm reading now. Some time ago, my brother and I were driving one evening to Chattanooga, Tennessee from Atlanta. He was driving the car, and for some reason the drivers were very discourteous that night. They didn't dim their lights. Hardly any driver that passed by 
dimmed his lights. And I remember very vividly my brother looked over and in a tone of anger said, I know what I'm going to do. The next car that comes along here and refuses to dim the lights, I'm going to fail to dim mine and pour them on in all their power. I looked at him right quick and said, oh no, don't do that. There'd be too much light on this highway and it will end up in mutual destruction for all. Somebody got to have some sense on this highway. Somebody got to have some sense on this highway. He then went on to talk about how when violence is met with violence and hatred with hatred, all it does is not just sow calamity for that generation, but for future generations also. This is a man who was beaten, whose friends and family were attacked because of him. What destruction would have happened if he had called for a violent response to the way that he had been treated? Probably destruction for all. I wonder what things cause blindness in our lives. Are there things in our lives that we just like to respond with full beam headlights that are going to cause destruction for all? Let's think about a story a little closer to home. Well, not that close, really. But it's on our thoughts at the moment. I wonder what your response has been to the story that's hit the news this week of Shamima Begum. For those of you that don't know, Shamima is a 19-year-old British girl who is currently stuck in a Syrian refugee camp. She's nine months pregnant with her third child, Her first two children have died, mainly because of either malnutrition or lack of medical supplies. And she wants to return to the UK, primarily, it seems, for the safety of her unborn child. Shamima, though, was one of three schoolgirls who left East London in 2015, at the age of 15, to join Islamic State and applied to marry an English-speaking fighter. Her parents thought she was going out for a day with her two friends. Instead, they went to the airport, flew to Turkey, crossed over into Syria, and she's not returned since. She seems, from the news reports, relatively unrepentant for going and joining the group whose ideals as Christians we can't accept and whose behavior, IS, is hated by most societies. In an interview with her, done by the time she's quoted as saying she doesn't regret her decision to go but she is disappointed by the corruption she found in IS perhaps unsurprisingly as well the government doesn't seem that interested in going to help her a security minister said or the security minister said and he said he was speaking generally and not commenting on a specific case there is no consular assistance in Syria I'm not putting at risk British people's lives to go and look for terrorists or former terrorists of a failed state. I was reading the story of Shamima with Jesus' words here ringing in my ears and I just felt the urge to pray for her. There's obviously no doubt that this young lady has made mistakes, maybe not all her fault, maybe brainwashed or taken advantage of when she was a child a bit. But I was thinking, and this isn't making a comment on whether the government should go and get her and bring her back or not. 
But I wonder how Jesus would want us to respond if someone like that knocked on our door asking for help. Let's think about the audience Jesus was saying these words to back when he was actually speaking them. He was speaking to people who lived in Israel. That at the time was invaded under oppression and Roman rule. The Roman Empire did not believe in their God. They had invaded, killed many and taken much from the nation. An empire that also crushed and dealt with ruthlessly those that stood against it or opposed their rule. That was the audience Jesus was speaking to. And these were his instructions. Love your enemies. Say Jesus' words would not have been easy for them to hear as a bit of an understatement. But they were really clear. And if we take Jesus' instructions seriously, as I hope we do, our call is clear also. We are to be people that are marked by love. Loving both those who love us back but also those who don't. I just want to say two more things about this passage. If I may, I want to say love is not the same as like. Love does not mean that we have to like someone and agree with what they stand for. In the Bible, Jesus never told us we had to like anybody. And it doesn't mean that we have to try and make everybody like us either. There are going to be people out there that don't like us just because they don't like us no matter what we do. Maybe because we remind them of somebody else that's done something cruel or horrible to to them. But we must still care for those people too. We must, when the opportunity comes, act for their best interest. Seek what is best for them. I don't think this passage is about letting people walk all over us. But it is about being generous with what we have. Being willing to let go of anything, even our natural reaction, for the sake of love. In verse 30, Jesus talks about giving your robe when it is asked, your cloak. Robes were really significant back then. They wouldn't just act as a coat when they were outside. They would be, often be blankets that people would have over them when they slept or lie on when they slept as well. Giving a robe was something that was really sacrificial. But Jesus' challenge was to be even more generous than giving people robes if need be. Give them your shirt also, we're told. As one commentator put it, commenting on these verses, love means being ready to be deprived of everything if need be. But it is love that must decide whether to give or withhold, not a regard for possessions or ourselves. Another commentator put it away that makes it slightly more palatable. You must always forgive your enemies. Nothing infuriates them more. Final point. Isn't the love that is being described here the kind of love that Jesus showered on us? God did not ignore us when we turned away, did he? He did not turn a blind eye to our behavior. He didn't respond in seeking to destroy us. Instead, as Paul writes in Romans, God demonstrated his love for us 
in that even while we were sinners, Christ came to die for us. Christ acted out in love and gave to us what was best for us. Verse 37 talks about not judging and condemning people. It was really interesting and actually quite depressing recently to read a study that shared about how 47% of committed Christian millennials don't want to share their faith with other people. To quote from the study, it says, much of this impetus among millennial Christians is a concern for appearing judgmental of others' beliefs. But is this actually what Jesus means here when he says that? I don't think it is. We'd not be able to live in this world without making judgment about, judgments about other people's behavior, whether they're, uh, they're right or wrong. In fact, if anyone ever says, stop judging me or don't be judgmental, they're being a hypocrite. They've just judged you as being judgmental. They're doing exactly the same thing to you that they're causing, telling you not to do. So what does Jesus mean? I think what Jesus means here is we must not look down on people. We must not judge others, condemn and look on them and see them as unworthy of being loved or of being shown mercy. In these verses, in the verses after our reading ends, Jesus tells this story trying to help illustrate what he means here. He tells this story of someone trying to help get a speck out of somebody else's eye with a log in theirs, in their own eye. What Jesus is doing is reminding the people that they too are people who needed love and care in the first place, even though they didn't deserve it. As Christians, I hope as we listen to Jesus' words and respond to his teaching as we've encountered him, that our logs can be removed, that we can see clearly through what Christ has done for us. And we can do that because Christ loved us. Not because we deserved anything from him, but because he loved us. And it is an offer that is open to all. Jesus lived his life on earth and poured love and gave light and hope that all of us might come to him. All of us. And Jesus' challenge as we encounter his love is to follow in his footsteps, to model this generosity out to those who are like us and those who aren't. And I do think if we can live this out, when people encounter this kind of love, it changes them. It changed me when I encountered this, as I'm sure it did for most of us here. Let's take up this challenge of Jesus and extend it out And if you don't know where to start because there's people in your lives, the place to start, I think, is to begin by praying for them. We can all here be people that pray for those situations in the world where people are just responding with hate to hate. Let's pray that we can change our attitude and respond instead with love. As we do this, and if everybody does that, Can you imagine what the world would look like? It would be incredible. Amen.